Hi, everybody. Today we're doing something a little bit different. We have a special guest. But first, I wanted to let you know that How to Talk to Mommy and Papi About Anything is going on a brief hiatus. We'll let you know when we're back. In the meantime, we have a really, really special guest today. She is the editor of the latest investigative show from LWC Studios. She is a first-gen And she led a group of reporters, fact checkers, audio designers in making a series of 10 episodes that looks at the lifetime and health outcomes of Latinas in the U.S. Really, really groundbreaking work. Her name is Paulina Velasco. She is a veteran reporter. She has covered the border. She has covered immigration. She has covered Latinos in the West Coast and throughout the country. And we were so lucky to have her edit this amazing series. Today, she's going to give us a behind-the-scenes peek at what it was like to work on the show. And now, without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, Paulina. Hi, Juleika. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy you're here. Thanks. All right. So the series we've been working on is called 100 Latina Birthdays. Give us sort of like the top points we need to know to get the conversation going. So 100 Latina Birthdays is our newest narrative documentary series. Ten episodes of deeply investigated narrative audio, which is super exciting and really difficult to make. And we've been working on for about a year. The premise is that if you care about the health of the country and of the country's economy, then you have to care about the health and wellness of Latinas. So every episode features stories of Latinas who live in Chicago. The storytelling is based in Chicago and follows the health and wellness of Latinas through different milestones in their lives. And it's called 100 Latina Birthdays because we have a birthday scene in every single episode. I am so excited for people to hear this. You're a first gen. Did anything catch you by surprise? Like, what were some of the takeaways for you as you learn about the lives of these multiple generations of Latinas? Oh, I mean, definitely. Every single episode, I was like stabbed in the heart. Like, oh, my God, I didn't know I needed to hear this, you know, because I'm sort of assigning the, uh, the reporter sort of like an age range of of kids or Latinas that they should like find their stories, right? And then they came back with, you know, stories about nutrition and like cooking for your kids, about teaching your kids Spanish and how it, what it's like to grow up bilingual in the States and like all these things that, yeah, for sure. I was like, oh my God, this is, this is somehow also about me. But I think one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately that I liked was this exploration of familismo, of like the importance of family, because throughout the 10 episodes, I mean, that's like a lot of storytelling. It's so much more nuanced than I think I would have thought. So like, familismo is like prioritizing your family before yourself, right? Or for example, checking in with your family when you make big decisions in life. And I was like, I can relate. I call my mom all the time. <laughs> But um, it's, I guess I'd always thought sort of like that this was something that held us back in some ways. And I think there are some cons to it, you know. But most of all, it's just very different than non-immigrant Americans' experiences. It's like their framework is just slightly different. And it doesn't mean that it's better or worse. And so hearing about how different young people especially are like grappling with the pros and cons and making that like deep cultural value 
work for them. So like one of the reporters did a, a piece about young Latinas, like 18 and 19 years old, going to college. And familismo was like cited in one of the studies as being a really valuable mental health resource for them. So like Latinas going to college, even when they're like living on campus and far away from their families, like the ability to still call their parents and value that connection is like really good for their like success in college. And so I just thought it was a beautiful sort of like exploration of the nuances of it. And our first season interviews people sort of their stories from like being pregnant, their pregnancy stories and perinatal stories all the way to age 20. And so I'm really excited for what comes next, like exploring other age ranges. But basically, we got to talk to several teenagers and young adults who are trying to figure out how they can define what their culture gives them and like what familismo can look like for themselves. And then also these new moms, like what that looks like now that they're forming their own families mm -hmm. is really beautiful. I'm really glad that you gave that excellent and positive example of how familismo can be a force for good. Because often when we talk about familismo on how to talk to mommy and papi, it is really complicated. And sometimes there are more drawbacks than positives. You've brought some clips with you to share. And this first clip, I think, really showcases that complexity. Can you set it up for us? Yes, of course. This is Dariana Urbina. She's about to turn 18 years old. Um, she lives with her family in the suburbs of Chicago. She's got two really hardworking parents, two younger brothers and a baby sister. She's the eldest daughter, which I know is something that comes up a lot on Mommy and Puppy. And basically, she tells us a story of how ever since she was really little, like a, a child, um, seven or eight years old, she was tasked with the responsibilities of another caretaker in the family. And not only like caregiving for her younger siblings, but also managing the family's budget, translating documents for her parents who only speak Spanish. So this is a clip of Dariana explaining what that felt like for her growing up. I've always been treated as an adult. I've never, I've had a childhood, but it's not saying that you've had a childhood with toys and having a childhood with going on playgrounds or, you know, it would always be like, oh, um, help me on this or how do you get into this? In psychological terms, she is what's called a parentified child. Now, as the oldest daughter in an immigrant family, I was also a parentified child. So listening to Dariana really, really touched some deep-seated memories that I have about having so much responsibility. What did you take away as you were editing this episode? Because you, as the editor working with the reporter, have to make sure that your subjects come across in a certain light, especially because they've entrusted you and your reporter with their story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I thought about that a lot. And we also interviewed Dariana's parents, to get their perspective. Um, her dad's the one that went on the record. And so I wanted to make sure that they could hear the episode and be really proud of their family. And and so it's kind of what we were just talking about, like this, this familismo is like both a blessing and a curse, kind of like, like they all love each other very much. This is a quince episode. So the birthday scene is a quinceañera because her parents tried really hard to give her a really nice quinceañera, but it was during the pandemic and they're planning like, like an 18th birthday party quinceañera for her. So like they love her, they appreciate everything she does. I mean, they know the responsibility she's taken on. So we delve a little bit into the mental health impacts for her and how that puts so much pressure on her. 
and gave her like a lot of anxiety and how she's coped with that. But what struck me was that this reporter framed it, the context in which she framed this family's story was about the rate of poverty among Latinos in the U.S. Okay. The idea is that Dariana's parents are really hardworking immigrants and they don't have the time or the resources other than putting it on their eldest daughter to help manage the house and manage their children. As we delved into that, we found a bunch of research that supported it. Impoverished families have a higher chance of adultifying their children because their lives are so precarious. Pew Research found that in 2021, 18% of Hispanics in the U.S., well, they use the word Hispanics, of Latinos in the U.S. lived in poverty, compared to 13% of all Americans across demographics. So this felt like a really important framing device that doesn't blame the family for doing the best that they can with the resources that they have, but rather as a criticism, a critique of why it's so difficult for this family to get ahead and have the resources to be able to take care of their children and allow their teenage daughter to have a, you know, have a childhood. That is a really hard balance to strike, so I really commend you for that, especially because mainstream media stories about Latinos are full of tropes and stereotypes and negative archetypes about Latinos in the U.S. And so I love the subtlety, I love the depth with which you and the reporter really were able to tell this family story. We also tied it to policy decisions, right? I mean, child poverty in the U.S. has gone up significantly, especially for Black and Latino kids, since Congress decided not to renew the monthly child tax credits that were implemented during the pandemic. And like, we have like hard statistics that support the fact that it's harder and harder for working class families, of which Latinos make a great portion of, of those families in the U.S. to make ends meet. And so it's not just like a hmm oh, this just happens to be how it goes for immigrants or for Latinos. It's like there are decisions that are being made that make this the case for families like the Urbinas. Absolutely. All right, you and the series also take on some really difficult topics like infertility and pregnancy loss. Tell us about this next clip that we're going to hear about. So the next clip is from a doula that we interviewed in our first few episodes that were focused on perinatal health. And her name's Mayra Buitron, and she works with Chicago family doulas. She's specifically what's called a bereavement doula. So a doula is a, kind of, is a birth worker who helps with different stages of a birth journey. Um, there's postpartum doulas, there's pregnancy doulas, there's infertility doulas. They're not medical professionals, but their goal is to support the person who's pregnant or giving birth. And Mayra specifically supports people who have lost a pregnancy. So we call that miscarriage, but really it's pregnancy loss at, at any stage of the pregnancy. Mayra herself lost a pregnancy. Um, and so in the episode, she talks about her own experience and also the things she sees when she's a bereavement doula. So the reporter asks her what she would say to the fetus that she lost, what she would, um, how she would look back on her pregnancy loss. And, and this is what she says. If it weren't for that loss, I would have not have gone into bereavement work, I don't think. So it was that baby that had a purpose in my life. And I think that was the purpose, helping other moms that have gone through loss. And so I, in the birthday card, I would thank her for that. I would say thank you very much, my sweet little elephant, for 
allowing me to be who I am. You played a big role in that, even though your, you know, your stay here was very short. So her experience reminds me that infertility, difficulty conceiving, these are things that are actually really common among Latinos, despite the stereotype that we have huge families. A lot of Latinas have a hard time conceiving and maintaining a pregnancy. What other factors from the reporting, from talking to folks and experts, what other factors you know, did we learn about that might influence these numbers? Right. So infertility, pregnancy loss, this affects actually a lot of women and a lot of pregnant people in the U.S. We just don't really talk about it. I think the things that come into play when we're talking about Latinas is a lack of health insurance, a lack of access to quality health care, and that includes access to mental health care. So there was a conversation that kept coming up over and over in all of pretty much all of our episodes, which was mental health. And I thought it was great because we got past the, there's a stigma around mental health, we should talk about it. A lot of people talked about that. But what I saw over the course of the 10 episodes was that we are talking about it. Younger generations and in our generations are no longer feeling that shame. We're teaching our parents how to talk about mental health. We're reaching out for resources. So what was really cool about Mayra Buitron and some of the other birth workers in that episode was that they're they're Latina and they talk about how we can reach back into our own cultures and our parents' cultures for support, for like um, traditional massages, for traditional like mental health support that might look more culturally appropriate. There's a lot of conversations about making sure that there's like Spanish language therapy available, all of these things. And I feel like a lot of the people in these episodes show that we're ready to talk about it with our families, with our parents, with our partners, and we're looking for resources. And so the next part of the conversation feels like it needs to be access. Yeah. I'm so happy to hear you say that because I think not being um, sort of like culturally open to these conversations has really had a negative impact on many of us who could really benefit from mental health support. So actually, that's a great place to ask you the last question, which is that you as the editor and your reporters must have thought about and must have encountered a lot of taboos when talking about health with Latina subjects. How did you prepare for that? How did you anticipate them? How did you handle them as they came up? I was amazed every time the reporters came back with a really good story. Like every time they came back, I was like, oh my God, I can't even imagine my own family ever, <laughs> you know, sharing all of these things. And not because they were necessarily bad things or like skeletons in their closet or anything like that, but they're private. Yeah. And so the courage that I think that took and the testament to the reporters being kind and thoughtful. I talk to them a lot about like what it means to get informed consent. Like we have people sign releases and all of that, but like do they know that the podcast episode will exist online forever, you know, like really really aiming for like very informed consent that they're participating in the podcast. Um, and then I think that maybe people really want to be talking about these things. We did talk about a lot of taboos like pregnancy loss, like peripartum depression. And we find that as we hear personal stories about these things that happen to people, these experiences they have, 
and start supplementing that with research and studies that it's just much more common than we think. And so my hope is that like all my friends who are Latina send this to all their friends who are Latina. Yes. <laughs> but I also think that like non-Latinos will hear this and, and find something that they can relate to and that they'll be really happy that someone's talking about. And we give people resources. We show how people find their own resources, build their own support systems. A lot of the parenting episodes are like, build your own village. What does that look like in these like really uncertain times? You know, people are figuring it out. And so I think ultimately the message is pretty hopeful. And I'm, I'm very honored that people were able to share those, those tough experiences with us. Well, thank you for taking this on. I am so excited. Tell everyone where they can hear 100 Latina birthdays, please. Oh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon. We have a beautiful website. It's 100, like the number 100, Latina birthdays. All right, Paulina. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening and thank you for sharing us. We have just over 162 episodes in our How to Talk to Mommy and Papi About Anything catalog. Each of them has been possible thanks to you. Your stories, your questions, your enthusiasm, your vulnerability, and your abundant sharing. Thank you for all the love and the support over these years. We'll be back soon. How to Talk to Mommy and Papi About Anything is an original production of LWC Studios. Virginia Lora is the show's producer. Trent Lightburn makes this episode. I'm the creator and host, Julie Calantigua. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at Talk to Mommy Papi. Bye, everybody.